Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. I am excited today to be joined by Sharon Norris Elliott, who is a contributing author to the She Writes for Him Black Voices of Wisdom book that has just been released. And we are so excited to be doing this series with some amazing writers. This book is filled with powerful stories, which are all so valuable and need to be spoken. They need to be written for our society and our world today. Today, and I am honored to be interviewing these women. Sharon, welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Kristen, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It is a joy to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family. Okay, well, I am newly retired. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> After a 35-year teaching career, I taught high school English for most of those years. Now I am a full-time entrepreneur with my company, Authorize Me, consulting, coaching, editing, and literary agency. So I'm working with other amazing authors, helping them to get published. I'm married, have two sons, one daughter in love, three grandchildren, and then I have my husband's bonus children So and grandchildren. So that's neat. Let's see, I'm a licensed Baptist minister, so I could break out in preaching at any moment. <laughs> you go, girl, because I'm a licensed pastor as well. So let's start preaching. <laughs> this could get interesting. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm the recipient of an honorary Doctor of Divinity degree, author of 12 books and two working contracts right now. I'm a Bible teacher, conference speaker, and Jesus lover. Amen. That is a lot that you have. I'm writing everything down of everything that you have done and I couldn't keep up. So (laughs) God is using you mightily. And although you retired, you are not retired, right? Not, no, not at all. I am busier than ever with my clients and with my own writing. So that's pretty exciting. Is there a specific topic that your books are about? I write Christian nonfiction for women teens and children. And then I write devotionals as well. So kind of write for a lot, don't I? You do. Yeah. (laughs) God is using you mightily, right? I hope so. I believe so. I want everybody to live significantly. I want my life to count for God and I want to do whatever I can do to help other people to live significantly for him as well. Yeah. One of the things that I often say is I'm not satisfied living only a pinky of who God created me to be. I want to live and walk in the fullness and I want others to live and walk in the fullness. So that's why I want to help. I'm a counselor as well. And so that's why I want to help individuals find the freedom from the things that are holding them back so they can walk out the fullness of why they're created. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So Sharon, can you share with us about your own fully restored story? We talked about this slightly before. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, which area do I want to start with? <laughs> yeah. Because Jesus has restored me time and time again. You know, he's not the God of the second chance. He's a God of another chance. Amen. And I'm glad I keep having other chances. The story that I talk about in the book has to do with triumph over racism. And we'll get into that, I think, a little bit later. But absolutely. The fully restored story that I can like the big thing, I guess, in my life is that I never expected to go through a divorce. And, you know, I was raised uh, again in a Christian home. My parents were married, you know, 50 years before my dad passed away. And, and that's what I thought was going to happen, you know, to me, but it didn't happen that way. I ended up in an abusive situation and I had to pray a lot because you know, we had been founding board members of my church and I didn't at first see the actual biblical reason that I could get divorced. And so I wasn't going to do that through many revelations, you know, and other things that had to come about. It was sad. And um, I had two young sons. I was speaking and writing and, you know, how could this be happening to a Christian woman trying to live my best for God, right? But God had a way <laughs> to restore all yeah. of that. He has a way of giving back to you what the locusts have eaten. I was at a conference. I was speaking at a conference thinking it would be the last time that I would speak. God couldn't possibly use me any longer. I wasn't going to leave the church. I was just going to be a great pew member. I was going to pay my tithes. I was going to participate. I just wouldn't be in any kind of leadership position. And I understand, I had made up in my mind. I understand it. I get it. Right? <laughs> so I was the keynote speaker. And this was kind of, I thought in my mind, this was going to be my last hurrah. Just God had just broken through and, and all the messages I was giving was, were just anointed and one other speaker was speaking at that conference and she spoke on, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I was, you know, I, yes, I get it. You know, that's what I'm doing. And at the end, she started praying for people. She laid her hands on me and then she looked me straight in the eye and she said, oh no, God is not finished with you. And we had not had a conversation, you know, or she didn't know anything else about me. And goosebumps broke out as well as the tears. And the next thing she said made all the difference in the world and really restored me. She said, God loves you. Wow. And then she began to prophesy, like all the things that are happening now, really, you know, in my life. And that was years ago. That was more than 20 years ago. God has nothing but messed up people <laughs> to deal with. And, you know, we take so much responsibility. As, I mean, as we should, we should feel sorry for our sin and all of that. However, God is in the business of loving us and using us and changing us into the image of his son. And that is what I see as my fully restored story since then God has given me a wonderful husband and my kids are great and my grandkids are the 
the best on the planet. I just want to make that. <laughs> I may um, debate you on that one. <laughs> and now with the business, I see God blessing the business and blessing my writing and publishing. And it's just a whole new, a restored life. I'm just so excited about what God is, is doing in my life. Amen. And Sharon, I was right there with you as you were describing that story of your life of just feeling like, okay, this is it. Like my eyes are tearing up with you. And I was thinking as you were talking about that, how there's a teaching I do on restoration. And part of that is about the ancient Japanese art form called Kintsugi. And that is where they take broken pieces and they use gold to restore it. And that the master craftsman that does the, because they're master craftsmen, there are counterfeit pieces, but the real pieces, they see these broken pieces and they see beyond the brokenness into the purpose for them and the goodness for their life. And that often if we break something, we throw it away. If a plate breaks, we throw it away and God doesn't throw us away. And God didn't throw you away. And he saw the beauty and who he created you to be. And yes, there are some cracks, but he's filled it in with gold, which comes from that refining process that he does in our lives. And then thinking about the restoration part, you talked about what has been stolen from you. And I love that in God's word, when he talks about things being restored back to us, and I just feel like somebody needs to hear this right now. It's never just, okay, you stole my ox, give me back an ox. You know, it's always double or more. It's a double portion. It's four times the, the amount. It's 10 times the amount. There's even a point one where it says a hundred times, like it's multiple times. He's never going to give back just part of what was taken from you, part of what the locust ate. And so what he's given you has been, it's more than double, I think, from how God is using you. And I love the beauty of the story of your life. Exactly. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's just they used to do in our church testimony time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I would love hearing just how God works in all of our lives, you know, and how Amen. God has worked and, and what he's doing now Amen. Um, is amazing. Yeah. Well, Sharon, your story in the book is filled with transparency, with honesty, power, and wisdom. And I just want to read a section from your chapter, which I have to say, it was really hard to select just one section uh, because there was so much in there. And I would love for you to expand that after I share it, if that's all right with you. So I'm just going to go ahead and read. It says, this is America. And according to the Constitution, I am endowed by my creator in the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Be that happiness related to joining a service club, buying clothes, test driving cars, or enjoying restaurant meals. And I was brought up in the church where the Bible teaches there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. To me, both the Constitution and the Bible scream, yes, inclusion is for you, not only as a believer in Christ, but also as a human being in society. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. You know, without giving away too much of the story, because of course we want our, our readers to read the book, but starting where you started, you know, with this is America. I grew up here in America. I'm from California. And so I did not grow up as a little kid with the Jim Crow issues of the South. So never as a child did our family get turned away, say from from a lunch counter to eat at or a restaurant or, or anything like that. It wasn't until I got older that I started seeing that there were issues of race in America. Yeah. I was in the fifth grade when Dr. King was assassinated. And that began to open my eyes to, you know, that, wait a minute, what is this, this black, white thing? Up until then, I, you know, that, that never, it never crossed my mind as an issue. And so when I hit high school and my story is about a counselor who decided that I was not college material and basically told me not to apply because I wouldn't make it. And that wasn't, that had nothing to do with your grades and oh, I was at the top of the suit of the top of students. I was in the citywide honor society. Yeah. I was on the honor roll at school. I had taken AP, at least one that I remember. (laughs) Maybe it was because I was traumatic, but (laughs) taken and passed and got an A in AP bio. I remember it had nothing to do with grades. In her, her words were, you were in public school and you will not be ready. What? Both of my parents were college graduates. Yeah. You know, my father held an earned doctorate, right? So it's like, what? So of course, all that did for me was to say, watch me. <laughs> so I applied to five colleges. I wanted to go to Spelman, which is a historically Black college in Atlanta, but I also applied to USC, Stanford, Dartmouth, and Vassar, and I got into them all. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And back in the day, they would send you a letter, you know, no, there was no internet at the time, and the letters all had these beautiful seals, right, in Mm. the upper left corner of the page. And so I took all the letters and I fanned them out like you do playing cards. I went back into her office and I showed her the letters and I said, I just haven't decided yet. And so (laughs) the idea that you could be excluded just by someone's words to you, someone who is an authority figure, it went on that after I went, I chose one of the, I didn't go to Spelman. But I went to one of those colleges, I got there, and then I was excluded again from sororities. And I was already making friends, you know, at school. The white girls who were my friends, you know, on the campus, they told me I couldn't get into their sororities because their mother's groups would not pay their rent on their houses if they let Black girls in to those sororities. What? Yeah. I've seen racism, you know, I've gone to high-end stores and I'm followed where the other 
patrons are not followed around. And you can tell I'm not a shrinking violet. <laughs> so I would have the tendency to turn, you know, and ask them if I can help them. <laughs> you know, can I help you? Is there a problem? I've watched my sons graduated from high school. Their dad got them a nice car and they get pulled over because they're in nice cars. They aren't doing anything against the law. So to actually witness someone trying to exclude you because of your race, because of already thinking that you're already, you must not be qualified. That could do something to you. But in my personal case, and I know in the cases of these other women uh, who have written in this particular book, other friends I know, we don't let that stop us. We know who we are. First of all, we know who we are in Christ. I know who I am in my skin and I love my skin. Having to prove who I am just because of my skin is not fair, but it is a reality. And so I take it on and you know speak very positively. I try to speak very honestly. I'm not going to wash over what I see happening. For example, early on in my writing career, went to a writer's conference. This was early. So this was before I had any books published. I was pitching my first book, right? (laughs) I spoke with, you know, at a writer's conference, a Christian writer's conference, you get the great opportunity of talking with the publishers, right? Face to face. And so I spoke with this one publisher and he said to me, oh, yes, we have an African-American imprint. And I kind of cocked my head to the side and I wondered, why are you telling me that, right? Are you telling me that because you will only publish my book with all the other Black people's books? Is that what's happening or what? Because I don't write Black books. I write Christian books. And the parenting books that I write are good for everybody's kids not just Black kids, you know? So why are you telling me that there's this little corner for me? That, again, opened my eyes to, okay, you know, (laughs) let, let me try to figure out how to navigate this. So, you know, when we talk about systemic racism, a lot of people mispronounce that. They say systematic, and that's not the word. Systemic has to do with the system itself being rigged. And you don't see it until something like that happens. And you realize, okay, that publisher was probably thinking he was doing me a service, but in actuality, even though the publisher may have been trying to reach, right? You're saying that my books do not fit in the grand scheme. And I'm saying inclusion, at the table has to be on a level of equality. That's right. And so the wisdom that I would have, let's just use that, those parenting books, for example, the wisdom I have about raising children can work in a white home, in, you know, a Hispanic home, in, in anybody's house. That's right. Because this wisdom that I'm writing about is based on scripture, not based on race. We have a lot of work to do just in our own understanding of each other. And I think that is the big deal about this book. You know, she writes for him, Black Voices of Wisdom. 
that the big deal is you're hearing from me. You're hearing from us how these things affect us, how we have to fight through them, and how there shouldn't be a fight. (laughs) As Galatians, like you read, as Galatians says, we are all one in Christ. That's right. We could put in America. We're all one as Americans. We're all one. And that's why I purposely read that and wanted you to expand on it because that is God's word. And then we know about what our nation, America, what it's supposed to represent, what it's supposed to represent, not necessarily what it does represent. I appreciate you unpacking that and being transparent with us. You know, I grew up in California as well and didn't see and notice things. But just because I didn't see and notice some things, the community I grew up in was predominantly Caucasian and Hispanic. Just because I didn't see some of the things that are, you know, the Jim Crows, that type of stuff doesn't mean it's not there. Right. And so that's something I've been, I've been trying to be very purposeful about is I want to be educated because when we're educated on something, then we begin to have understanding. And that example of, first of all, the example of the the school counselor, I was slightly enraged as I read that. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like that. And I just, when I read the next part about how you went in, I'm like, oh, you go girl. Like, yes. Like just bring it right, but not at her level. Because we don't need to go at the level of someone that is racist or cruel to us or mean to us or, you know, and all the different things. And so I, I so appreciate your story. And, and then even talking about writing the book, the, the publisher, that because really it has nothing to do with the color of your skin. It's the words that you're writing. Exactly. So again, thank you for sharing that. And so that leads me to, as a contributing author of the She Writes for Him Black Voices of Wisdom book, what is the message from your chapter, if we haven't already shared it, is there anything specific regarding your chapter that you want to share with the listeners today? Regarding my chapter, I think we've kind of covered some of that, but I think what some of the things that come out after you read it up, you think, what, you know, does that happen? What? That it's important to listen and learn. Very important to listen and learn. Believe what we're telling you. Believe that this really is our reality. And like you said, Kristen, that made you angry. It should, (laughs) you know, and not only make you angry, but I'm not going to let this happen anymore. First of all, I'm definitely not going to be the one perpetrating this. Yeah. But listen and learn, and then don't compare or try to explain. I get into conversations sometimes, and people try to explain, you know, well, this is probably what that meant. Wait, stop. (laughs) Stop. Go back to number one. Listen and learn. (laughs) And then, just like I love that you said you got angry. Be a modern-day abolitionist, one who will speak up. When you're in conversations with your friends and things are said, right? You can speak up and say, well, you know, I, I think that's out of place or, you know, or whatever. Knowing who we are in Christ may not silence those who are against us, but it will keep the lies from penetrating our hearts. That's important. And it's perfectly fine for, if you understand, so say, if you understand 
what I've been through or what I go through. Because like you said, if, if you live through the summer of 2020, you know, it's not over. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. It's perfectly fine for me to be angry. Yeah. Now I'll do my best to channel that and control it and not let it overboil. But, you know, many times black women, right, have that, oh, she's an angry black woman. Well, you know what? There's a reason. Okay, there's a reason, but I am not living in anger. And so I'm perfectly justified in standing up for myself and making my needs clear, making it clear how things affect me. I was in a conversation with a group of people. We were going to discuss all again the summer of 2020, right? The first thing that happened was someone. Caucasian lady said, I don't want to hear about all the past. I just want to hear what we can do and how we can move forward. Eh, Wrong answer. (laughs) Okay. When we're dealing with each other and you're dealing with this racism and you're dealing with how we can move forward, we cannot move forward until you understand what happened before. And so not wanting to hear it is problematic. And so It's like lancing a oil. I want to get rid of it, but I have to let out the bad stuff. I have to let it out or it won't get healed. And so being able to verbalize or allowing me to verbalize the hurt and the pain is part of the healing. And it's hard to hear. I get that. You know, if I've done something wrong to someone, It's hard for me to hear them tell me what I did, okay? But I need to hear it because that's part of me understanding how it affected them. And it's part of me realizing how bad it was and cementing in my mind that I am never going to do that again, right? We have to rehearse what was done for the purpose of moving forward and healing. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the first interview I did in this series was with Marva and the theme of that, which by the time the listeners listen to this, that episode will have already been played. It ended up being about listen. And I'm writing here and listen and learn and believe what we're telling you. And I'm a counselor. So I always think in, you know, through my counselor brain, you know, one of the things that we need to do is sit with your story. We need to sit in a place in a room with your story and let you speak. And if you, like you said, you may verbalize that a hurt and pain, but that's part of the healing. And it's not about me, a Caucasian American woman. It's not about me at all. It's about me listening and learning and truly listening and believing you and not making excuses, not trying to debate it, not trying to say yes, but just sitting and listening. And as a therapist, I work with individuals for trauma. That's my area of specialty. And individuals who experience trauma, one of the hardest things is people don't believe them. They finally have the courage to share what they have been through. And their family members or different people don't believe them. And people talk bad about them. It's not right. It's not right. Like we need to believe people and sit and listen with them. Now, in any, this isn't a race thing, and and just in general, 
there is a, a very small, small, minute <laughs> amount of people that are not honest about their experiences. And this isn't about race. This is just life in general. There are people that may accuse somebody of something and that didn't happen or, you know, that's a small, minute amount. And people focus on that small, minute amount. Right. And think that that is the totality. And it's not. That is not the totality. As you're saying, the healing is really about me sitting, this opportunity that I have to sit and interview just some of the writers is and reading your stories, but going beyond that, you know, having friendships and relationships with other people of different ethnic groups and sitting and listening and not listening to defend, not listening to give your opinion, but just listening. And if we all did that, Wow. Oh, yeah. We work it out. I know. Yes. <laughs> work yeah. it out. Yeah. My sister wrote a letter to a group that she's a part of, actually a national council of churches that she's a part of. It's a, a kind of an open letter. And she talks about how she wants to sit down with people who think differently than we think, you know, different racial groups, and basically ask what is it that you hate about me? <laughs> you know, can, you, can you just enlighten me? Because I don't think that it's clear to haters why they're really hating. You know, what is it? Can we have a conversation? Can we sit down together and you tell me, you know, why? How did they respond? Wrong conversation. There hasn't been one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there hasn't been a response. But that right there speaks of there's an issue. Yeah. I, I mean, them not responding, but her letter of saying, why? Just because of who I am? Yeah. Right. I just did a, I did a presentation uh, at the school that I retired from. I just retired in August of 2020. And they had me to come back. The mission department had me come back and do a presentation for Black History Month. This was a school where I was the first African-American teacher, classroom teacher they ever had there. And now that I'm gone, there's not anybody again. And so <laughs> I was there for 10 years and I had quite an experience. This time I was trying to figure out how I was going to present, I mean, Black history, what can I do in 70 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. Black history. So I decided to, I made a little PowerPoint. I, I have all my pictures since kindergarten. And I asked the question, who would not want this little girl to live next door? You know, went back a little bit, you know, so many years before this little girl was born, the slavery in this country and, and the laws that were passed and, you know, and then brought it up to today. And I just had that little girl growing up and each time asking, who wouldn't want this little girl to sit in a classroom with them, to live next door, to, you know, work beside them, to, or whatever, right? And the teacher said that it was powerful the way that I presented it. And then I came up to, you know, to the president to talk about this piece, right? This incident that happened in the book and some other incidents that have happened in my life, you know, just again, to think about, you know, why? we all have the same dreams and goals 
you know, for our families, for our lives, for our successes, for our future and for our eternal uh, future. The whole idea of racism is just so ridiculous. It really is a waste of time. And we as the church, yeah. as the church have to be the prime example yeah. of the fact that there is no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, but we are all one in Christ. And if the church cannot deliver that message, we are of most men. I know this is out of context, but we are of most men most miserable. <laughs> right. And if we as the church can't do that, then we as the church need to go back to if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And as we seek God's face, not laying down, laying down our opinions, not going to God with our opinions, our perceptions, our experiences, whatever we were raised with or whatever wrong belief system that has stuck in our thinking, we lay that all down and truly pray and seek God's face. God is going to come in and convict, and that conviction is going to bring repentance and it's going to bring change for those that are, for all of us that are unfair or in our wrong thinking or in any way have contributed to racist belief systems. Like we need to own it and not blame everybody else and own it, our part of it, and sit and listen and believe you and let you have your moment of anger. At however that is, long that is, because that's part of your healing and not get offended by it and walk into this healing and pray for you and pray for myself that I, God, show me my heart. It's not about somebody else. It's like, show me my heart, Lord. And, you know, Sharon, we could go on for hours about this. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're running out of time here. So I so appreciate some of the things that you've opened up in the last few minutes. Just tell me about the new book and what led you to that work. Well, I was invited to be a part and that was, you know, awesome. Invited to write a piece for this book. And I almost immediately knew what incident, right, I wanted to share and how I wanted to, you know, get to the bottom line. Okay. of our, you know, my, con my conclusion uh, in using the verse that I use, right? That we are yeah. all one in Christ. And so I know some of the other ladies who have stories in the book. So I'm so glad that I was invited to be a part of it. I think it will open doors of communication. That's what I'm hoping yeah. that the book will do, you know, allow us all like my title says, exclusion tried, but inclusion triumphs. Amen. And we are all included at more and more tables together to advance the cause of Christ. Amen. So how can people connect with you online and purchase your book? Well, I could be found at the website is lifethatmatters.net. And then if you want to contact me directly, you can send an email to life that matters at yahoo.com. That's the email address. And so you can connect with me that way. Wonderful. 
Well, thank you, Sharon, for joining us today. I wish that we could go on and on, but I only have so much of this time to record this, but I have been truly honored by having you on the show, appreciative of the wisdom that you have shared. And friends, all the show notes and the link shared with us today can be found at my website at fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. I would so appreciate it if you could leave a review and a rating and be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family. It's grassroots how podcasts get out to our community. I would love to stay connected with you. So you can find me on my Instagram or Facebook pages. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. Today's episode, I hope you are like me and took notes because I have a page filled with of notes here. And really, friend, if you can leave this knowing that I need to listen and learn, believe what others are telling me. And if you are one who is needing to speak, to be able to verbalize the hurt and the pain, I encourage you to find those people. And friends, I encourage you that are Caucasian white American women like me, expand your friend group if you have not already because it's when we come together, when we sit with each other's stories, when we give people a space where they can talk and we truly listen without being there, without a motive to respond and get defensive. And when we pray, that's, as Sharon had said, that is where change can begin. Thank you, Sharon, for being with us. What an honor it has been to have you. And friends, remember, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.